Good morning. You guys f should feel refreshed, an extra hour of sleep. I think there's two types of people, though. There's like the planners, like they're going to capitalize on that hour. They're like, okay, we're going to get just, just really do well. We're going to start off our week right. We're going to get an extra hour. Then there's those of us like me, they're like, extra hour. It's not 8 o'clock. It's actually 7 o'clock. How many are in that camp? That's what I'm talking about. So we didn't necessarily, we got an extra hour of life, not an extra hour of sleep. I stayed up extra late. So um, anyway, man, good to have you. We've been celebrating 25 years the last few weeks, and uh, we've been really excited to do this. That, that's a big thing uh, for a church. It's a big thing for um, any ministry or any organization for that matter. Um, so around October to December uh, is our 25-year anniversary. October is when um, my dad and a bunch of people started meeting, and then December is when it became official um, through the state of Ohio. So, um, so we've been celebrating that. We've, we, how many have enjoyed some of the guest speakers? Last week was fun. Our good friend, um, Pastor Charles Carnes from Troy was here. The week before that was, was Mike Henson. These are good, dear friends of my dad, uh, but also just part of our history, part of our foundation, part of when we started and then again when, um, when, when we transformed and, and became who we are today. So anyway, been cool, but I am so glad to be back speaking uh, last week, Nicole and I, we, um, we were like, okay, that's, that's, uh, that's been fun. We're so glad we've done this. Um, but, man, I'll be glad to get back to normal, you know? So that's, that's today, that sense of normalcy. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad to be back. Um, man, just so many things. Next week as well, we're going to be celebrating Veterans Day. So invite a veteran. Um, we're going to be, we, we always do that. We feel it's uh, right in our nation, right in the church, to, to honor those who've served, those who've given their life, those who gave years of service to protect our freedoms. So uh, we usually set aside a day, and we, we honor that, we celebrate that. Uh, so if you know a veteran, bring them next week. It'll be a great week to bring them. All right, let's, let's recap a little bit, and then I want to introduce you to a group of uh, folks. And um, uh, so recap, what's our mission statement? Anybody? That was, kind of, that was kind of pitiful. Three words. Worship, grow, go. That's our mission statement. Worship, grow, go. And uh, comes from a context of our first ministry is unto the Lord. Our priority is Jesus. Our, our priority is his presence. That, that is number one. Number one is the up. It's, it's to him. It's for him. It's with him, right? From him. Everything is about Jesus. And then grow. Grow is, is the health of the body. It's the health of our relationships. It's growing closer to the Lord. It's growing as individuals, growing as a body. And then go. Obviously, we're, we're being launched with purpose to reach people, to, to, to expose and to, to make Jesus famous and to introduce people into an encounter with his goodness and who the Lord is. So that's Worship, Grow, Go. Our vision statement, I'll give you that one, all right? A family of transformed sons and daughters worshiping and ministering to the Lord while growing and being launched to go as influencers for others to experience the real living Jesus through radical love. All right, core values, five core values. The symbols are here. Uh, some of you might not be able to see them because of this big thing, but... Um, all right, first, encounter his presence, all right? Can anybody name a second one? Love God, love people, all right? Heaven, what? Heaven to earth, okay? Um, there's one that's three words, covenant, family, home, good. Equip believers, 
And uh, I think we got them all. Encounters, presence, like I said. So those five core values, we went over that a couple weeks ago when I spoke, uh, just defining what those are, who we are. We have spent many weeks of just making our vision, our mission, very, very clear. We've spent many weeks honoring our past. Now today, I'm going to focus on kind of our present into our future. All right. Um, so I felt like this is pivotal. And then uh, Veterans Day next week, then probably get into thankfulness and Thanksgiving and then our Christmas series. So uh, but we're going to ask our elders to come. Elders, can you just come on up and stand in front here? All of our elders. I know if we could get Angie, Nicole, uh, that'd be awesome. So if we can get our elders. We want to formally introduce you to our elders. Uh, our elders are made up of, of pastors, our core pastors, as well as lay leaders. It's a three-year uh, commitment. It's a three-year term, essentially, and, uh, but that's offset a little bit. So this was our first uh, core group or first group of, of elders. Um, so this is, this is who it is. There's one more coming. Um, but basically, we wanted a balance of those leading the church and those representing the body to make the decisions and guide the church. We feel that the church, the best model is a family model. All right. By that, I mean not a business model, not an organization model, not just heavy where it's, where it's all board ran or all pastor ran. Okay, sometimes we can get into some very dangerous organizations when one person's making all decisions or one small group is making all decisions. So we wanted, and Steve Justice, could we just, would you stand as an honorary uh, person that we can just thank you? Steve helped us organize this. We rewrote our bylaws. He um, spent hours and hours and hours and hours helping us, and we told him and communicated what we felt Upper Room was, who we are, and biblically, we want to be in the context of a biblically ran church. Uh, so we have an elder board, and, um, and that's, that's who makes decisions. Who's, and then um, once we have certain things, there's about three categories when we vote on things involving real estate, like building the church, um, involving installing new elders or new pastors. Uh, then the elder um, basically votes, and then it goes to the church body on those, those major things. So we're going to introduce them. We have Kurt Lamb here. <laughs> Kurt's amazing. Kurt is uh, huge right now. He is helping me manage the, the expansion project, and Kurt has a um, uh, a very big background working for the base and building and construction, uh, but also is a certified architect. So, so Kurt brings a lot to the table. After going to Ohio State, he came here and has just served with us ever since, met his wife here, and they have children. So uh, anyway, Upper Room's a pretty good matchmaker, to be honest with you. So if, if you're single and ready to mingle, you, you might be in the right place, all right? Um, we, we have, <laughs> Seth is raising his hand if there's any lady takers. So he loves the Bengals and he loves music and he loves playing softball, okay? All right, we have my wife, Nicole. She's uh, on by way of being married to me. Uh, she did not want to be on the board, but that's one of the things that we kind of wrote in is that the, past, the senior pastor's wife will be on the board, the pastors that are installed as pastors, titled as pastors, and then we have the additional lay leaders. We have Matt Simmons, my brother. Matt, former pastor, um, but now in way of elder, so he got fired. <laughs> he got upgraded, probably. So uh, then my dad, founding pastor, my dad is on the board. We have Bruce Toll. Bruce, 
one of the lay leaders that are on the board, and uh, we're so thankful for Bruce, his wisdom. Um, he, he walks in such a peace, in such a realm with the Lord that gives me so much confidence. When I know Bruce is on board, especially financial decisions and different things, I, I seek him and his approval and his things because he walks in such wisdom, and the Lord has, uh, man, gifted him with uh, stewardship and success in life, and Bruce, appreciate you. We have Mike Hefcock. He is our... Retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, from, from the Air Force, gave 20 years of good service to our country. Now he's serving the Lord in various ways and still serving our country in various ways. But uh, Mike is also our personal coach, our, our leadership coach on the team. He's a certified leadership coach. So uh, anyway, we appreciate Mike. We have Steve Bowen. Steve is our, our go pastor or our out pastor. And... Um, Man, Nicole and I were just sitting at a campfire last night bragging about Steve and just uh, how sweet he is, how amazing he and Patty are, and what a gift they are to this body. And um, man, they have done so much in the kingdom, planted churches in Scotland and England, served in churches for decades, and now we get to benefit from all the fruit in their lives and now what they're still demonstrating and leading us into and with. So thanks, Steve. Appreciate you. All right, we have the amazing... Extraordinary, Joshua Haas. In my phone, I have Josh programmed as Haas Boss. So when I share his contact, it comes, also, comes, comes to people as Haas Boss. Uh, but Josh is our, our end pastor. He's, he's kind of our, he's not certified, he's not, uh, profe he is professional, but uh, it doesn't count as professional counseling, but leads our SOZA, but also our internal counseling, our premarital counseling, and our inward health of this body of marriages, relationships, and people. He helps navigate people in life really, really well. Um, he also does a great job interpreting dreams. If you didn't know that, uh, he went to some courses to interpret dreams. So a little fun fact about Josh. And he is a baseball fanatic. The history of baseball loves baseball. So all-around great guy. How many love Josh? Yeah. And his amazing wife, uh, who is our treasurer of the church, she helps run the books and everything. So the treasurer is always on the board, and uh, that is one of the permanent spots because we don't want to have to retrain. And when you find somebody like Angie full of integrity, full of purity, and full of accountability in who we trust, uh, we just so appreciate your diligence, Angie, and uh, love you. Uh, Angie, sometimes, you know, like, I, I am full of integrity as well, but there's sometimes like, hey, if, if, the, if we're getting benefits or the government allows this or that, we're going to take those benefits, right? And Angie's always doing due diligence. Aaron, I don't know if we can do that. So, and then she's also the one that, I have two credit cards, personal and church, and they are the exact same card. One's just a different shade of, like, black blue, my other's dark blue. And one night, we, went to, we took our family to the zoo. It's dark. It was like the Christmas light thing at the Columbus Zoo a couple years ago. She texted me a few days later. She's like, what is this charge to the Columbus Zoo, Aaron? And I was like, oh, my bad. I used the wrong card. I'll reimburse the church right away. So she keeps us on our toes but keeps us accountable, um, not just to the IRS and all the, the legal things, but to the Lord, which is most important. So thank you, Angie. This is your elder board and me. So, thank you guys. 
we, we have introduced them in our annual business meeting. We've talked about them. We've said who they are, um, but I've been looking forward. We tried to do this last summer, and we could not got, get a date where we are all going to be here. So I've been texting, will everybody be here during this series, and uh, today's the day. So let me tell, share a story and get into the message. Um, a few years ago, uh, around 17, 18 years ago, 17 and a half, 17 years ago, I got saved. I got radically saved, and I went all in. That being said, I was in my dad's church, uh, this church, the one he founded, different building, uh, different culture, different, different stuff then. And, and my wife and I, I worked shift at the fire department. I worked 24 on, 48 off. There were weeks where if, if church was on Sunday, I would miss every third Sunday. Um, when I was on duty on Sunday, I would miss every third Sunday. And so we would go around sometimes on a Saturday night service and go to Living Word or CLC or Gingensburg or the various churches around just to get a church service in way back then. Uh, our church at that time maybe had 25 people. Upper room was, was anywhere between 25 and 75 for a very long time. And it depends what we, what we did to offend people when that dipped down. Uh, like I told you once, we, we, we kind of uh, put in a projector screen in, went more that route, got rid of hymnals just a little bit. And uh, dipped down to 25. There was a lot of people offended over that one. Um, some other things that were really funny that you're like, wow, okay. So um, at any rate, uh, I, I realized that was not a church. And it, just some of the beliefs and some of the things from the old system in which we came out of that were lingering that I just didn't agree with. So I, we got to this place where my wife and I, I'm saved, we're married. Um, and we were going there before we were married. My wife uh, actually was leading the kids' ministries. We were engaged, and I was not yet saved, but I was playing drums for the church. So, um, man, I'll, t I'll tell you this. When you think about King David, and you think about him being installed as king, what's, what's, what's the Lord say? He said, God looks at the what? The heart, the inside. Man looks at what? The outside. There was a whole lot on the outside that I should have not, and, and we probably still wouldn't allow a lot of that on our stage today, but you never know what the Lord's doing in somebody's heart. I'll, I'll just say that. So it's God who sees that and pulls that out and, and, and works that out. But anyway, um, so we realized that upper room at that time was not a place that we wanted to raise our children. We didn't yet have children, but we're like, there's some things here that we just disagree with. We don't believe on some of the emphasis and some of the things and some of even the theology that was going on. So, so we started to, to look around, um, started to know that there was a calling on my life. We started to fear, know that, but then not know how to navigate that. And it created a lot of tension between my dad and I, and even my brother and I, and even our family. And at times, we'd have these massive blow-ups and these, these arguments. And a lot of it was on doctrinal beliefs and different things and some of the old-school stuff. And Mike Henson, who was here two weeks ago, helped us so much navigate through some of that and, 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 and go into the Word. I'll say this. I was like that teenage believer. I was like that adolescent, you know, who knows everything but not yet wise or mature and knowing how to, like, effectively communicate the way Josh Haas would recommend. So it led to a lot of blow-ups, and I was very disrespectful. But what I was doing was I was figuring out fight or flight. I was figuring out, am I here to stay, or are we bouncing? 
because I wanted a church where I could raise my family. I wanted a church that I wanted my grandkids to be in. I wanted a church that I could agree with the beliefs and agree with how we're, we're, we're viewing the Lord more than just to judge, how we're baptizing, the gifts, and the manifestations, and all that. I, I, I felt like there was something in Nicole and I that we wanted instilled in our children, and at that moment, I didn't feel Upper Room was that place. So we went out, we started visiting these churches, we started trying to figure things out. I was pretty open with my dad what was going on, uh, at times very argumentative and disrespectful, dishonoring. But then the Lord just eventually became very clear to Nicole and I that it wasn't the church where we were going to raise our kids, but it was the one we were going to invest in to make it become that. So I decided, we planted in, we planted roots. We're like, all right, we're going to fight. And what we did was, then, then the Lord convicted my heart, um, I will share one more story about Mike Henson. In one of those very disrespectful moments, my dad's like, you guys ever um, have problematic kids or, 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 or adolescents, and you're like, you need to go talk to your grandma and grandpa. Anybody do that? My dad used to do that. My dad used to have Leah talk to Grandpa Dorsey all the time. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so... By the time they got to me, they just didn't even care anymore. <laughs> I'm the baby. It's like, oh, whatever. Bunch of beer in the cellar? Who cares? <laughs> He's the youngest. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, it was one of those moments where my dad said, you need to call Pastor Mike Henson. You need to get this worked out. So I called Pastor Mike. I was in the Menards parking lot. Menards had just opened. We're building this church. My dad and I got into a disagreement. And Pastor Mike gave me some of the best advice ever. And... Um, it was pretty crucial for the timing, and I'll tell you why. Um, he said, Aaron, it's a big ship. You're not the captain of that ship. It's your job to push the envelope, but you can honestly only push one or two a year. So make them count. And he said, you need to honor your mom and dad. You need to honor, sit under them and submit to them. And he just gave me an hour of advice, and he told me to read two books, both by John Bevere. One was Bait of Satan, which became a very, very strong pillar and a foundational piece of this church. And one was Honor's Reward. After I read those, especially Bait of Satan, I felt like uh, uh, an idiot, okay? Not going to sugarcoat that at all. I was like, man, the, the premise of that book is if, if David can honor Saul the way he did, how can I possibly not honor my dad and my mom? That led to the next two years or so, almost two years, or at least the, the last season of my mom's life, opening up this uh, facility here. And that led to me being able to finish a really good season that I'm proud of before my mom passed away. So, what we didn't know is that we would one day be pastors here and sowing into a culture of honor that we would one day get to reap from and benefit from. That's what we didn't know. But what I do see and what I did know is that, okay, this is right. I'm, I'm, I'm the fool. I'm the idiot that was being um, just unreasonable. And uh, so we, my wife and I gave our life. We gave our life for the Lord. We gave our life for the ministry. And we made some deals with the, with the Lord. <laughs> He's been faithful in most of those. <laughs> But at any rate, um, we decided whatever wasn't here and the Lord was putting on our heart, we were going to bring. We're like, whatever's in lack, whatever we want to raise our kids in, we're bringing. There was no small group ministries. We started small groups. There was no youth ministry. We started a youth ministry. There was, like, you go on the list, and my wife and I, we just, Nicole and I, we, we gave ourselves, we gave our lives for this. And um, so we, we chose to ground in and, and fight instead of flight. 
And I'm so thankful looking back that the Lord used certain people, certain things, that I didn't just do the quick, easy button and leave. I'm so thankful for that. I hope you're thankful for that too. Um, it saddened my heart last week to know uh, the integrity and the, the, the way that Charlie Carnes walks with the Lord and for him to say there's no one to give the church to. It saddens my heart. We heard it twice last week at another ministry as well, that there's no successor. I'm thankful that, that our focus is the next generation. I'm thankful that even when I first got saved, I'm looking at a ministry and a church and a home, even though we don't live here, this is our church home, at a place where we're, I want a place that I'm proud to raise my kids and grandkids. And I hope that's, that's where you're at today. I hope that, 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 we're, not, that we're becoming this place where, where you want to raise your kids. And if it's not, I hope that you're planting the ground to do something about it. If you don't like that this doesn't exist or this is this way, do something about it. I'm challenging you today to, to create the place that you want to raise your kids, your future kids, your grandkids, your future grandkids. That this becomes such a culture and such a healthy place and such a, a place hosting God's presence that you are proud to call this home and you see this 100 years down the road. You can see that. So many times I, I think we, we're just living in the now. This is a message for, for where we're at, but also the future to say, man, I don't know what it looks like to build the San Francisco Bridge, but in 100 years, there's going to be cars passing down that, and it's this thoroughfare, right? But so many guys lost their lives building that bridge of who they'd never even see it completed. Or you go to the Coliseums, or these massive buildings that took 100 years to build, uh, took two and three generations to build some of these back in Greece, and you, you go back to these historic um, uh, places, and it's because they're seeing something beyond their current now, their current position, their current uh, generation even, and they're seeing beyond. You know, what we do, we're investing, we're paying now so others can play and receive later. So that's what it became. So I hope that we are, are a place that is welcoming the presence of God. Because I don't know about you, but I want my kids to be raised in a place and my grandkids to be raised in a place that hosts his presence and that puts Jesus first, not a production or not a thing, right? I hope that we're a place that's welcoming the sinners and welcoming the unclean and welcoming the hurting and welcoming those with habits. How many of you want to welcome the people who need Jesus? What if it came at the cost of the seat you sit in every week? You say that, but... Or the, or the parking spot you always park in. Or that, that comfortability, right? You shift seats around in a church, things get a little weird. But it's funny because now we see from a different perspective when we may be seeing something we didn't want to see before. We say we want these things. We say we want revival. We say we want a welcoming church, but bring up the seat thing. Bring up all these things. But what are we paying for it? What are we giving of ourselves? What are we giving as our, present ourselves a living sacrifice? Are we just showing up on Sundays? Are we just showing up at the mandatory? Are we interested in the lives of others like Paul challenges us to be? Or Timothy? Are, are, we, are we really challenged in this way? Let, let's go to the word here before I step on more toes. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Are you with me? 
Matthew 5, 13 through 16. I'm going to read some scriptures. Now I'm going to get into a list of, of some items. Uh, I think it's important for you to know that we did not make up the room upper room. Okay? We'll get there. Everybody say Acts. That's where we're going to end. We're going to end in the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2. We're going to go through that. But Matthew 5, 13 through 16 says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going on beyond just wanting to be a generational church where we in here care about the generations. I'm going on to, to say, I want to be a church that if we didn't exist and we weren't here, we'd be missed by our community. If we no longer existed, would our community feel the impact? And, and as we get into Acts, we'll talk about how the temple transferred from a place to the people. The, the, the presence of God and the fire, it used to be the fire would come in on the mountain when it, when it was the Ten Commandments. The fire came for the temple and the tabernacle, right? Then all of a sudden, Jesus was, was crucified, resurrected. He says, go wait in a place in the upper room, and, and then something's going to happen. And then suddenly, uh, here's what happened. It became a place of a temple to the people being the temple and being the people that bring it out. So when we are commissioned, it, it's, uh, I'm going to get there. But here's what happened. The Tower of Babel, God scattered the people. The Pentecost came. He gathered them to scatter them in a different way in the future. To reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? The, the ends of the earth, right? So what happened was, he said, okay, we're going to gather around the temple. Then all of a sudden, something, some weird stuff was happening. He scattered them in different languages, created confusion. Then the day of Pentecost came, there was this this. This, this event, this, this, this holiday, right? This Jewish holiday. And all these people from all around the nations were coming. All these ethnic groups were coming. And then his spirit was poured out. And it all, it says, tongues of fire rested on their head. When his spirit poured out, they became the temple, the carriers of the spirit. So all of a sudden, it's, as we're talking about a church, we're talking about a people, the ecclesia, this is not a building. You can see the light, like we're expanding. Um, it's very cold in here today. It's pretty drafty. All right, let the light of Jesus shine in. It might be a little cold in here until that gets buttoned up over the next few weeks. But here's the deal. It's not about a building. It's not about a bigger sanctuary or a gymnasium we're building or all these cool things that are coming in the next few months. It's not about that. We are the church. We are the temple of God. And, and if we remove ourselves from this community, would the schools feel an impact? I'm proud to say I think they would. I, I remember the day, we, again, we were small. And for years, we're plugging away. For years, we're just, just, just not trying to grow a church, but just try to be who the Lord's created us to be. And I was getting my hair cut at Great Clips. And, I, and it came out that I was a pastor or something, which I don't usually exploit. And they're like, oh, what church? I was like, Upper Room. It's in Tip City, Ohio. So I've heard of Upper Room. I was like, yes, somebody has heard of Upper Room. Beyond who's there, Sunday's at 1 p.m. This is awesome. Upper Room Faith Assembly. You've heard of that. 
I remember that being a huge deal, but I want to make an impact as a people that's beyond just being here, occupying space on this property. The days of opening our doors and us being the entertainment or being the main event of the week in a community are over. Listen, Jesus didn't die just so that we can make it into heaven. He died also so heaven can make it into us and we can reflect that. So I want to be a place. I want our kids and our grandkids to have a place that if it was removed, that literally culture would change in that community. Something would be missed. There would be something missing. There wouldn't be flowers showing up at the hospital every Monday for the cancer care. There wouldn't be this encouragement. There wouldn't be the pop-up stuff. There wouldn't be people knowing that they are loved no matter where they're at. There's so many churches that are just trying to grow numbers. There's so many churches that are, that are just trying to bring people in and, and, and advertise how many they have. We don't take attendance because we don't give a rip. My Bible says where two or more are gathered, he's in their midst. That's all it takes to, to make a church service. But it only takes one to have a worship service because we get to adore the king of kings. Nicole and I, we've often said, we don't care how many are here as long as there's a group of us that agree to make Jesus priority and precedent. Great commission. Let me, let me get through this. I'm behind on time. Great commission. Mark 16. Let me, let me read through some of this because I want to get to the main point. I'm not even close. Mark 16, 15 through 18. The great commission. I'm going to read Matthew as well. I'm going to breeze through this though. So, so get ready for your micro machines commercial, all you uh, older millennials. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Now this is what the body of Christ gets to do. This is those who are empowered as believers, followers of Jesus, Holy Spirit operating them get to do. They get to cast out demons. All right, They get to speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink a deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Let's go to Matthew's version. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. So here's what the Great Commission boils down to. All right, we are commissioned with the authority of Jesus given to us. We are commissioned to go get people saved, to heal people, to deliver people, and to disciple people. That, that's what it boils down to. Now, not by our power, not by our blood, but Jesus's, okay? So we are commissioned in our lines of work, in our homes, in the restaurants we go to, to save, to heal, to deliver, to disciple, to lead them to a creator, to lead them to a savior who can do all of that. That is the church in operation. That's the church that will impact culture, and that's the church that would be missed if they're gone, if we catch this. If we get the key to, this king, to the kingdom and we get this, all of a sudden we are an unstoppable force because we are through love. Let, let's get there. All right. First Thessalonians 3.12. This is fun. I geeked out on the Bible project on this one a little bit. It's going to make me sound really smart. This was Paul's basically first letter uh, coming out of Acts 17, all right? So he's, he's writing this letter uh, to the church in Thessalonica, okay? 
And, and it was a community that, that believed that Jesus was Savior, that he was Messiah, that he resurrected, he walked among us, right? And they believed in the hope of his return. So they had this radical community going on in heavy persecution. Paul goes there, Paul and Silas. It became so violent and so heavy, they had to flee, right? So Timothy's giving an update, and he's filling Paul in, and he's saying, hey, they are doing amazing through this persecution, through what they're going through, through the trials. Now, we think we have it bad. Oh, goodness, folks. So all of a sudden... Paul writes this letter, and he's so ecstatic. He's like, I can't wait to see you, and I hear you can't wait to see me, right? And he starts a letter with prayer of thanksgiving. He starts this letter of appreciation, saying, I'm so glad to hear you're doing well. I'm so glad to hear you're running with the gospel, that your community is strong. All right? And he goes through this thanksgiving, this praise, and affirming them and realizing what the Lord's doing in their midst. Then all of a sudden, he ends with prayer too. After some like, here's some encouragement, here's some suggestions, here's some things you can do. Mostly focused on holiness. In the middle there, between the transition of thanksgiving and the transition to holiness, there's this other prayer. All right, and here's one of the verses that he says. It's First uh, Thessalonians three twelve. Now this is what I charge you with. All right, and this is the worship. This is the grow and the go. It says, and may the Lord make you, this is Paul's prayer to them, may the Lord make you increase and abound in what? Love. Love. What is it? I can't hear you. There we go. Love for one another, for each other, and for who? All. For all. I don't care what lifestyle these folks are in. I don't care what things are going on around you. We are charged to love. And if we believe that Jesus sets captives free and relieves or, 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 or free sinners, why are we judging the issue? I'm not saying agree with it, but I'm saying we, we, we draw this line in the sand. Well, they're Muslim. I can't love them. Or they're this. I can't love them. Or they're, 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 they're same gender attraction. Can't love them. That's bull crap. Because if we believe that Jesus died for all, saves all, redeems all, reconciles all back to the Father, it's not for us to judge. It's us to lead them to an encounter with a Messiah. And his name's Jesus. So it says to love one another, love for all, as we do for you. Okay? Let's, let's skip on to 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now this is to us here. This is just to this body here. It says, I appeal to you, brothers... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul so many times is talking to the body and talking, writing these letters to these areas and these churches, and he's saying, be in unity. Let, let, me, let me tell you this. If you want to push a, a non-believer away, be a hypocrite, or be divided, or be against people, or judge them, or talk bad about your brothers and sisters, or talk bad about the other churches. That's a great way to push people away. A great people, way to bring people in is be a culture, be a community that actually loves one another, and that people need and want and are hungry for. Would you want to belong to a family, and any part of a family that's full of quarreling, gossip, discord, bickering, and hearts that are turned against one another? No. I don't know anybody who would want that. But yet, we'll do it in our church, and we'll be like, hey, come to church with me. We'll do that. We'll, we'll, in the same context, we'll be like, oh, yeah, they're really weird. Yeah, I don't, I, there's this lady in our church, or there's this, this, and oh, yeah, that, that televangelist. Quit talking bad about people. 
It is venom. Leave it to the Lord. Man, there are so many scriptures that tell us not to talk bad about people and sow discord and, and turn against even those who teach the word. It is very dangerous. I'm just, I'm just cautioning you. It's biblical. Don't do it. People want unity. They want love. They want a place where they can come and feel safe. That's a family. That's a family. I, I think we've seen culture be a very dysfunctional family. We've seen culture um, uh, promote dysfunctional families and divided families and all these things. But the, but the people of God, the children of God, inherently want a good father with a family that love each other. He's the good father part. Now we're a family that gets to love one another. All right, let, let me move on here. Okay, upper room. We did not come up with this name, okay? As fun as the name is, we didn't do it. Neither did Dallas. Not their name. It's from the Bible, okay? There's two uh, contexts in the Bible, all right? There's first, Enogian, uh, Enogian, all right? That means uh, a large guest chamber, meeting room that was already prepared to allow people to meet, celebrate, and even at times lodge. The next one, the Greek word is, is Huperun, okay? Steve and James and any of the other Bible teachers, don't judge me. It's, it meant upper chamber, a room above a level of a structure of multiple levels, okay? So two times this is used in the Bible. I went through a couple years ago, a few years ago, and, and basically I started researching every place in the Bible where upper room was used. And it became very revelatory to me that we are beyond just the Pentecost church. That was in the upper room. Early days, very strong, charismatic Pentecostal background from uh, what my dad came from. But then we became, I started researching, doing word searches and all these things on every time the upper room was used. And there's a few that stuck out to me. So that's where we're going to the whiteboard. You with me? All right. I learned last time I have to write really big. Okay. So... Let's see if we can do this appropriately without blocking a lot of you. Can you see it, Josh Hosboss? Okay. First one, and it, they might not be in order. I can't remember if I did it in order or not. All right, Judges 3, 20 through 30, okay? Well, am I going to go cursive or not? Or uh, I didn't know if I was doing all caps or not. Let's, let's get on the same page here, Aaron. Where battles are won. Okay? In Judges 3 20 through 30, uh, Ehud kills Eglon. Okay? It's the killing of Eglon. It's this crazy story. Judges 3 20 through 30, you can read it. But it led to Israel winning a battle against the Moabites. Okay? So for me, that I took that as that is the place where battles are won. It started in the upper room. All right? So the next one that we'll go to is 2 Kings 4 11. And it's a place of. I had some input from some ladies last time, Morgan and Kira, to use different colors. It's a place of rest, okay? So 2 Kings is where Elisha rested. Let's do a different color here. 1 Kings 17, 19 through 23. It's where there was a child that was dead, okay? Can you see blue? Red is the color of Jesus' blood, though. What are we going to do? So we're going to stick with blue and black. You're welcome, Nick. Okay, 
where dead things come to life. Elijah laid over the child, the child came back to life, okay? Where dead things come back to life. Okay, next is 2 Chronicles 3.9. It was the temple room where gold and the valuables and the treasures were stored, and it was made of gold. It was a vault, all right? So what I said was of safety and value. It's restoration, safety, value. So Nicole said, why don't you just do like a PowerPoint presentation? I said, I didn't have time. So we'll do whiteboard. Next, Daniel 6.10. Anybody know where this was? Daniel 6.10. No. It's where he prayed three times a day. He came to Thanksgiving, right? It was a place of prayer. Good guess. Daniel prayed three times. All right. Next, um, let, let's call that house of prayer and Thanksgiving. Okay, next thing I have is Acts 9, 36 through 42. Peter raised Tabitha from the dead, which uh, was a revival and led to salvations in Joppa. Okay, so what I put was a place of miracles, life, and salvation. You with me? Anybody taking notes? Anybody? You can go back through on YouTube or live stream and watch it. Okay, let me roll through the next couple here. There's only three more. Acts 28 through 11. So upper room was full of lamps. It was full of light, okay? And Paul's speaking, all right? This is where the dude, Paul's speaking so long that the dude falls out of the window. Now, imagine this story. Paul, longer than I'm preaching right now, Paul falls out. I don't even, not time change. I actually don't even know what time it is. It's 1248. This is ridiculous. The dude falls out of the window, dies. Paul stops everything, raises him from the dead, continues speaking, and then they share a meal together, and then he goes all the way speaking all the way through morning. We got it easy, folks. So, um, let, let's just say a lot. There's a lot that happened there, okay? You got light, you got sharing a meal together, you got a miracle, you got teaching, you got all these things of what a family looks like. <laughs> Isn't that wild? That's crazy. Okay, next and last before I get into the main point here is Luke 22, 12 through 15. It's where Jesus prepared a table, he prepared the Passover, met with the disciples. So it's a place of, I can't do it. I have to do every other. Was anybody like, oh my gosh, he was supposed to do blue? My daughter. Passover. Table. Last Supper. As we know it today, in remembrance of him, communion. Okay? So, then we get to this, this part in Acts 1 and 2. Well, let, me, let me go back there. On Pentecost Sunday, um, several months ago, I did a whole teaching on Pentecost and them coming, and like I said, the, the scatter, gather, scatter kind of theory. 
And what it was is Acts 1, uh, Jesus is walking with them for 40 days. After his, his resurrection, he walked. Acts is simply an, an extension of Luke, okay? And, um, and I'm just trying to catch. I know there's a lot of people here who are new believers. So Acts is an extension of Luke. So this is Luke's account and continued account through what, what was happening, all right? And this is Jesus walking the earth, the establishment of the church, and then some pretty cool things happen. One of them is Pentecost, uh, known as Pentecost Sunday or, or Pentecost, okay? And um, many of us get confused, and simply, it was a Jewish holiday. They were all coming to town to celebrate in this, and I know that Jesus is a genius. Anybody else agree with that? God is a genius, so he uses this time of this large gathering of all these ethnic groups, all of these cultures coming together to pour out his spirit. Do you think God is strategic in when he does something in his timing and when he wants? Absolutely God is strategic. We are praying for things, and sometimes it's a no because a delayed yes is building interest, and there's a better yes to come. We can't take these things in our own hands to say, well, this should have happened, or he didn't answer my prayer. He may not have answered it when or how you wanted to, but let me tell you this. Trust me, he answered your prayer. And sometimes simply by not answering your prayer, he's answering your prayer because he's more gracious than what you even think, and there's provision and protection and things that you can't even see. So what happens is he uses this strategic time to pour out his spirit. So they all come. They're in the upper room. It comes like a mighty rushing wind. All of a sudden, this, this, this breakout happens, so much so where it was sounded like a tornado and train. That's the, the, the translation. They all started speaking in other tongues. Flames were resting on their heads. All the people outside were wondering, are these people drunk? There's so much craziness happening in that upper room, in that upper chamber, that they have to be drunk. Then Peter preaches this message, and it says that, that it's not, they're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. They've experienced Holy Spirit. We want to label Holy Spirit. Well, it has to be this, and it has to be this, and it can't look like this, and I don't know about some of that. And if you've not experienced it, quit bashing it. And quit following people who are bashing it who haven't experienced it. I don't Google things anymore because there's more naysayers against stuff than there are for it. Try researching something to prove it rather than to prove it wrong. You might get somewhere where the Lord's trying to take you. So all of a sudden, he preaches this message. I'm catching you up. Then we get to Acts 2. That's through that. Peter preaches the message. At the end of Acts 2, here's where we get, okay? So we have Pentecost. Whoa. Can you see this one? I need a bigger whiteboard. Okay, Pentecost. So we're going to be in Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm sorry, guys. I didn't get you this one. Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, don't know what version. Now, I love this, okay? Holy Spirit wasn't poured out for them just to give it to them. It was poured out to in them to be out for others. Because now they're the temple. Now they are the moving, multi-ethnic, transformational community that will eventually, because of different things and persecution, now move outside this culture and influence the cultures they came from and all over the world. So let me just tell you this. From the ends of the earth, Judea, Samaria, and Jerusalem, they all came together. They experienced the day of Pentecost. They experienced this outpouring of Holy Spirit. They then suddenly get in community. They love what they found. They've just experienced something they've never experienced before, as Jesus promised. 
Okay, so then all of a sudden, I'm not going to get there today, but in a few chapters after Acts 2, they end up having to scatter and go back where they came from. Do you think that that was a strategy of the Lord in their way? Like the, the Pharisees and all these things, they can't, they're, they're so fixated on what they think Jesus was supposed to be, and they're so fixated on the law and what it should have been that they overlooked the coming of Messiah and his death and resurrection. But Jesus had a greater plan. He gathered all these people in, poured it out. They got so strong in community, and they became such a strong body of believers, an ecclesia, a church, that then, strategically, he then scattered them again to reach then the regions of Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Just like we are today. Your Judea and Samaria might be real estate, Lydia, or it might be Wright State University, Leah. It, it's all these areas, right? It's a gym. It's, it's a restaurant. It's a school. It's, it's wherever you are. And then sometimes some of us are called to the ends of the earth. We're called to be missionaries. We're called to go, whether short-term or long-term. Because all of a sudden, Jesus in us, Christ in us, is the hope of what? So we get to be glory spreaders of his goodness. So, Acts 2 check this out 42 through 47 all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals including the lord's supper including communion and prayer check this out a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had if there was somebody in need they they met they sold it all they met that need they said they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple. Worship, right? They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They went home to home. They, they gathered. They, they hung out. They loved one another. Grow, right? And then it says, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved go right they became such a powerful community it wasn't <laughs> we sometimes mess around and, and we're like yeah when we go to mexico we're like yeah we stay on the comp compound because it's all fenced in it's got it's got big cement walls and stuff when we go to our church there so it's funny we're, we're at the compound it wasn't like that. We sometimes read that and we think it's like that. They came in and they became a community and they never went out. No, at the end it says many people were being added to their fellowship and being saved daily. Why do you think that is? Because they became a community, an ecclesia, that if they weren't there, it would have been missed. Things like gathering together, praying together, doing communion together, meeting in the temple and house to house. How often? <laughs> I don't know if I can do another small group. <laughs> That's a lot. What about once a month? Ooh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm there. Like, man, we don't get much time as a family, we, you know, these things, right? So I'm there, but then I read this, and I'm like, oh, Lord. Man, they met in the church, the tabernacle, the temple, and house to house daily, every day. And it's like, man. And then, it, but it says they were performing miracles. First off, it said they worshiped together. They put Jesus first. Then it says the apostles performed all these signs, wonders, miracles, people being healed. They did it with generosity and gladness. They didn't sell their home to, to, to join this compound. They sold their possessions to meet those in need. 
I've even misread this so many times. I, I envision this community that came in, isolated themselves, and never went out. It's not true at all. They became influential. They became what people hungered for and needed, and they revealed the goodness of Jesus. That's all they did. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Can you stand with me? And uh, we're going to take communion together. So can somebody help pass out communion? Just raise your hand if you need communion compliments. Just raise your hand. Keep it up, and we'll have some ushers give you communion. I wouldn't necessarily say that we're perfect in all of this. I wouldn't necessarily say that. But we're, our desire is for all of this. Our desire is to be a place where battles are won, where there's intercession, and there's things happening, and there's undercurrents of, of battles being won. All right, I'm not, not a big fan of murder in here. Probably not the coolest thing to happen if, if that were to happen. Rest, a place of rest, where dead things are coming to life. All right? First thing, sometimes things have to die, though. Sometimes in order for us to come to life and us to have life in Jesus, we have to die ourselves. So it's where we die and come to life. A place of restoration, safety, value. A place of thanksgiving and a house of prayer. Miracles, life, salvation. A place where there's teaching and discipleship and that even when it goes long and people get bored, there's still life in that and there's gathering of meals and there's a table and there's gathering around Jesus' table for Passover. And then that we become such a strong community that's portrayed in Acts 2. But let me just tell you this. It's not the church's job to provide you with every need that you have. Biblically, the church says that we are here to equip the believers for the work of their ministry. If there's not a ministry here that you desire, maybe the Lord is communicating to you that you need to start it or get in one, or jump in, or help, or, or, or do something. And by help, I don't mean suggest it and expect somebody else to do it. We get a lot of that. If you suggest something to us, we're probably going to be like, oh, great, you should run with that. It's a great idea. If you see something that you want here, that you want to raise your kids and grandkids, start it, do it, pour into it, team up with somebody, run for it, go towards it, do it. Don't expect somebody else to do it for you. We're, we're not here to do everything you want. The Lord has put things on your heart that we don't have. I, I, I can't lead a divorce ministry because I've never been divorced. I can't lead a ministry for those who've had abortions because I've never had one. I, I, I wouldn't be able to empathize the way that you need it. I wouldn't be able to, to pour out the way you need it as much as I have compassion for it and know that God's grace covers it and know that he, you're redeemed and covered and cleansed by the blood. That's not for me, to, that there's things in your heart that aren't in my heart that the Lord needs you to do here or your neighbors or in your neighborhood or somewhere around you, in your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Samaria, and to your ends of the earth. That's how we become a church that if it was pulled out or if it didn't exist, it'd actually be missed in culture and community. So Acts 2, one of the things they did, they gathered and they shared meals, including what? The Lord's Supper. So that's how we're going to end service today. All right. Yeah, thank you. That's amazing. Background music is always makes it more anointed, right? <laughs> I'd love to just join you and uh, lead you through the body. So get your bread, peel that out. One of the things I like to do before I eat it, I like to break it and then eat it. 
Um, I do this oftentimes when I practice Sabbath. I take communion, and sometimes I get it alone. And like yesterday, as I was getting ready to take it, a few uh, stragglers came downstairs with me and with their crazy bedheads and took communion with me. Um, his body. The bread represents his body. And, and in the word, it says every time you take communion, every time you take the bread or you drink of the wine that represents his blood, you do it in remembrance of him. So that's our focus right now. So just bring yourself. And, and, and it talks about being worthy and, and doing it worthily. And I leave that up to you. I'll say this. Nothing you do on your own is going to make you worthy. It's what he did on the cross that makes you worthy. So if you receive that, you're worthy. Okay? If there's children in the room, that's up to you and the parents. We don't, we don't say there's anybody here that can't do it. If you're not part of this body or membership, we welcome you to communion because we're one body in Christ. So if you could just break that, it might get a little crumbs throughout. Just try your best. His body was broken for you. In my prayer time yesterday, I just began to visualize how his body was mutilated for me. I, I envisioned the stripes on his back, and his stripes were for my healing. He was bruised for our iniquities. His side was pierced. It, it says for our transgressions. You know, his body paid this price. I began to, to picture the pain he went through, and I began to just receive the gift of wholeness because he was broken so we could be whole. He was broken so his body, his bride, could be whole. So as we take this in your own intimate moment, in your own way, just begin to visualize and picture the Lord and his body and what Jesus paid for us. And I'll lead us in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for your body. We thank you that you were broken so we could be whole. We thank you for the stripes you endured. We thank you for the nail-pierced hands and feet or ankles, Lord. We thank you for what you bore on the cross. We thank you that you endured the mocking and, the, and being spit on and that your body endured so much that you were bruised for us, that every piece was a prophetic fulfillment to pay for the price of us. We thank you for your body. As we take this bread, we know you're the bread of life and that it reflects your body, and we do this to remember you. In Jesus' name. Just take a moment. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your body, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you you're not any longer on that cross. You're no longer broken, but you're whole. And you welcome us to wholeness. You paid that price for us to be whole. We thank you for your body. We thank you that you're the bread of life. Man, the blood. Doesn't the blood speak a higher word? Isn't it powerful, the blood? So many things about the blood. And I, I want to summarize it in a few C's. There's a cleansing power of his blood. It cleanses all sin, all shame, everything you've ever said about yourself or to others. The power of his blood cleanses everything and it wipes every slate clean as far as the east is to the west, as far as it is as the depth of the ocean floor. That's the power of his blood. It covers us. It's a covering. It's a blanket of peace. It's a, it's a blanket of hope and rest. His blood covers us, and it is the price of the covenant for us to be back to the Father. It, is, it cleanses, it covers, and it's covenant. That's the power of his blood. It brings us in to relationship and fullness with him. 
it brings us in to eternity. His blood that was shed on Calvary for us paid that price. So as we take this, just take a moment and picture that blood. Yesterday, again in that time, I began to picture the blood that was coming out of his hands and his feet from the piercings, from the nails. I pictured the blood running down his brow and his head from the crown of thorns. I pictured the blood from the stripes on his back. I pictured the blood that was pouring out of his side with the water from the pierced side. I began to picture that blood and that blood is so meaningful because it paid a price for me, everything I've done and everything I'm going to do. So Lord, I thank you for the blood. Jesus, we thank you for the blood. We thank you for the power of your, your blood. We thank you that you paid it all for us, Jesus. We thank you and we take this cup. We take this as a symbol of your blood that paid for us. We thank you, Jesus, of the symbolism. We do it and we remember you. I know there's a lot going on today. I know there was a lot of different things and praying for issue one and the guy that preached a really long message and communion and stuff. But Jesus is so good, guys. He is so worthy of our time. He's so worthy of, of a Sunday. So I encourage you. I challenge you. I feel that 1 Corinthians 13 was Paul's challenge us to love in those ways. I feel like I have a challenge and we here has a, have a challenge to be like the Acts 2 church. That literally if we were plucked out, that we are so transformational, we are so influential in everywhere that you're placed in every sphere of influence that you have, that if you were pulled out, you would be missed. That, that there would be a tangible difference in culture and community in the city, in the school system, in the hospital system, because we're not there. But we as individuals, as people, make that collective up and we get to operate as the temple of God, as Christ in us is the hope of glory. So I challenge you to be that and I challenge you to be the church and to create the church and the culture and the community that you wanna raise your great, great, great grandkids in. Okay, God bless you guys. Uh, why don't you encourage somebody on your way out? Bless them, give a prophetic word, encourage them, pray for them, see what they might be going through. Love you guys, God bless you.